just a bunch of witty bitches. Here's my papa. Hey, jump. I have a quip. It's just cadals. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Witty Banter, episode number 66. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Williams. Joining me today is the long, tall Texan Hunter Dorset. Howdy, peeps. And a gentleman who's also joining, who's been joining quite a bit, his name is Max Scott. Howdy, guys. And here's the deal. I'm sick of introducing you as a guest, Max. Okay. I can't do it anymore. I won't have it. I'm sick of saying the same thing week after week. we got to get beyond oh, it, you know? Geez. The oh, people... Actually, no one's have spoken. We have spoken. Yeah. <laughs> you Everyone sure? hates you. Hunter and I are all about you. Though. Oh, yes. thank you guys for vouching for me. The now, trust me, guys, tanking. he's going to be good. Yeah, It's going to pay off, I promise. But no, Max, real talk, we're making you a, uh, a full-time member. All this right. is the first time in Witty Banter's history that we've had a three-man cast. Woo-woo! Um, got a third I leg think, to stand on. Oh. I think it's the only way for Witty Banter to forge into the future. I think it's going to be nothing but good things. Uh, thank you guys so much. I'm so honored. Uh, I'm just stoked that we can make it work, man. You know, we figured out a way to get you on uh, for good. This was I mean, the yeah. dream, man. Let's be this real. This was like, the dream, yeah. we, The dream has always been for the Max Scott counterpart. Yeah, because the best always... podcasts are three man podcasts, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes, you need that triangulate. I mean, I mean, Rush, the greatest band of all time, three piece band, three people, right? Exactly, of course. We should just name our podcast Rush, Rush Two, <laughs> Rush Two, <laughs> Rush to Witty Banter. Oh, so yeah, welcome to the show, man. You're going to be a regular staple. Everybody, welcome Max aboard and get hey. prepared Woo-wee. for a future that's going to be so fucking funny. At least to us. Yes, and that's what's important. <laughs> that's what really is important. Yeah. All right, on Witty Banter, we review a beer every episode. Today's beer came by way of recommendation by a Mandy Elkins, who wanted to suggest the Sculpin from Ballast Point. And the thing is, the Sculpin is quite a generic beer that I think everybody has had at this point, but they've been branching out and doing so many different flavors. We thought it'd be a good opportunity to take advantage of that and, and, and uh, review one of the new flavors. So we chose... The Pineapple Sculpin. So, Mandy, Ooh. thank you so much for your recommendation. Seriously, it fucking makes the show dope. She you went to WittyBanterShow.com and clicked on Suggest a Beer. You can do that if you want your beer to be reviewed on the show. But we're going to go ahead and dive into this one. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there was a little <laughs> blunder in buying the beers. I actually just bought a normal Sculpin. So I'll be kind of drinking that, but I'll be definitely like sipping on the pineapple, get enough to review. You I know? think it's good because you're going to be able to compare it to the original Sculpt. You know? I, I agree. You can have a little Sculpt Daddy mm. if you want. <laughs> Maybe you know, a little, you know, little sip, a sip, sip of the to the Sculpt. over here. You get a sip on my pine. You know? uh, <laughs> I don't want to sip your pine. <laughs> um, so Max, pineapple's like your favorite fruit, right? Is it? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you put it on pizza and the only way for you <laughs> oh, to oh possibly... God, really? <laughs> Eat it on pizza, is it for it to be like your favorite? It's fantastic. I mean, I do love it on pizza. Uh, it's disgusting. A pineapple pizza beer would actually be pretty dope, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually really excited about this. I love pineapple. I love its sweet, acidic, burning taste. I'm ready to uh, kind of dive into this a little bit. It does burn. So yeah, def- when I when I first care. opened it, man, you could immediately just smell the pineapple come right out of the can. And that was pretty cool. <laughs> I wasn't really expecting that. Yeah, But awesome. Hunter, looks like you're locked and loaded with some info. I do. I have, a, I have a couple things. So on their website, uh, their little excerpt says, Our Pineapple Sculpin IPA came from one of many small batch cask experiments to enhance the flavor of our signature IPA. With so many tropical hop notes in Sculpin, 
How could we not try adding some sweet, juicy pineapple? <laughs> the combination of fruity flavors and hop intensity definitely packs a punch. It's 7% alcohol by volume. We got Ooh. 70 IBUs. Damn. And uh, they had some cool like food pairings. They have like mango sticky rice, buttermilk crumb cake, and bay blue cheese. I've been wondering what to pair with my buttermilk crumb cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing yeah, seems to go well with them. Yeah, it's one of the so. the most often asked questions of us on Witty Banner. <laughs> Witty Banner in life, really. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, why don't you try it out, man? Yeah, it's actually, I'll, I'll give it a it's little. Actually, you know, really good. Okay. So the first it's thing, like, like I'm you, watching through the screen, two people do their own podcast right now. I don't know what it is about it, but you guys are just like, it's like you're bumping elbows and you're, you're flirting what, 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 with the girl what, what, you just met in class or something. I don't know. What? It's cute. Why don't you give it a sip? Just try it out. I didn't put anything in it. Just try it out. Um, okay. I, I just took my first, I'll give you my first impression. It is a little thinner than I expected for the alcohol by volume. It's a little watery to me. It smells really just aromatic with that pineapple. It's pretty sweet, but there is like a booziness and a warmth. Well, maybe not booziness, uh, but there's a warmth to the beer. Um, and there's a lot of hop that's bouncing out the... I'm fucking lost in what I'm saying. There's a lot of hop <laughs> bouncing out the pineapple at the end of the taste. Yeah, like the fruit comes off of the nose more than anything. And then like I kind of... When you get that much on the nose, you dive in. You're like, Ooh, this is going to be a sweet, fruity experience. And then you kind of try it. And it's still sweet, but it's like sweet because of the alcohol more than anything. And then it's like hot. And then on like the very end, you're like, hey, just a friendly reminder. This is pineapple. Which <laughs> I, I kind of like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like when I, you know, I we've noted on the terminology a, a bit with like gimmicky beers. Mm -hmm. I almost expected this one to be kind of like that, um, maybe over pineapple. But I was actually surprised, and I, I guess pleasantly surprised with like it wasn't just shooting to make some super pineapple-based thing yeah. and then call it their sculpin. It's you know, it's not. It's not your father's root beer. I was gonna say that, but I didn't want to just call it out. <laughs> so that means it it is your father's root beer. This or? is your father's root beer right now. <laughs> no, 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 that's not how that works. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah, so I, I felt like it was like it it pleasantly reminded me of the Sculpin, which I have had before. Um, but yeah, it was different, and I feel like most of it was uh, in the smell and maybe at like uh, kind of the back end of the taste. But but yeah. How does it compare to the regular Sculpin? Oh, well, I actually haven't even had a, a, a sip I'll of that yet. Sip it up. I'll As he's sipping, it, I got to yeah. tell you, Max, I went and saw a movie this weekend called The Swiss Army Man. Oh, dude, Andrew's been begging me to go you see that. You need to go watch that movie. Really? It is oh, fucking no. hysterical. Oh, really? Oh, my God. I was not, <laughs> I didn't know what to expect going into this movie. I knew it was going to be kind of weird. I was hoping it wasn't to get like too sappy and artsy fartsy. But yeah, one, that's why, yeah. the movie's really good with kind of all of the themes and what it's trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it's it's shot. It's very pretty the way that it's filmed, but it's fucking hysterical, Max, and really? the most absurd. I can't tell what the fuck is happening. <laughs> ways is it like slapsticky kind of funny? Like I just I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm not gonna give you much. Within the first two minutes, you're gonna know exactly why you love. <laughs> you're gonna love this movie. Okay. Well, awesome. Well. Andrew will have to thank you later because she's been begging me to go see it. And I'm like, nah, dude, it's, it's really great. It was gimmicky. one of the surprising like movies I've seen this year where I was like, that really? was really good. You know, like I ah. hope that movie makes a lot of money because they, they deserve success. It was a good one. So awesome. that, is that one of those that, that exceeded your expectations going in then, I guess? 
Totally. Witty, witty banter approved. Nice. Well, yeah, I had the I had the other Sculpin. You know, you're welcome to try it as well. But uh, it's just generally a little less sweet. And whatever remnants of, of sweet that are in the normal Sculpin is, you know, it's just mostly based in the alcohol. Hmm. It's pretty straightforward. It's a, you know, it's a good IPA. But it's a solid it's a, IPA. It's a, it's a, it's a good, fucking... It's a good IPA. It's a good IPA. <laughs> it's a, that's a good IPA. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, but yeah, I don't want to talk about that one too much because we're not reviewing that one. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I dig the Sculpin actually. It's surprisingly like, I'm at it. I even prefer the, uh, the pineapple one. Really? Yeah, we've been talking about it for like four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we love it. Well, that means that it's We're time to give get it a 10. News? <laughs> <laughs> We're done. All right, let's get the news. This is Witty Banter. My God. Get you with that one? You sounded like you were about to start like a fucking Bollywood guitar song or something. That was incredible. I got swept up into Damascus there. That was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. This is a good one. All right. We're going to start off on a really high note here. Good. Tesla driver killed in a crash with autopilot. (laughs) Jesus Christ. TSA investigated. Oh, fuck. Okay. That's the worst news I could ever get about the self-driving car. It's here. The first fatality. So so, so say it again and... Uh, Tesla driver killed in crash with autopilot active. The NHTSA is investigating. Wow, okay. Here's the story. A Tesla Model S with the autopilot system activated was involved in a fatal crash, the first known fatality in a Tesla where autopilot was active. The company revealed the crash in a blog post posted and says it informed the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration of the incident, which is now investigating. The accident occurred on a divided highway in central Florida when a tractor trailer drove across the highway perpendicular to the Model S. Neither the driver, who Tesla notes is ultimately responsible for the vehicle's actions, even with autopilot on, nor the car noticed the big rig or the trailer against a brightly lit sky and brakes were not applied. In a tweet, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said that the vehicle's radar didn't help in this case because it, quote, it tunes out what looks like an overhead road sign to avoid false braking events, end quote. So yeah, we've been following uh, autopilot and self-driving cars for quite a while, and here's the first fatality from Tesla. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I just like, like I said, dude, that sucks because that's going to set them so far back. I think, I mean, I think everybody was super optimistic before this, but I think when you hear about even just one fatality, it's just, yeah. I mean, yeah, at the same time, like they stress it so much that it's a self-driving car, but that doesn't mean you're not driving. You know what I mean? Like you're not supposed to just like take a nap or like yeah, completely that's, ignore that's it. That's what I was going to say is like, they did still say that regardless of whether or not their autopilot function was on, that the driver is still ultimately liable. And I mean, of course they're going to say that, but like, it's not like they didn't address that. And like, if you you can't just be like sitting down, you know, eating cereal while you're on autopilot, you know, you got to be... There was a video that was floating around Facebook a couple days ago that showed some guy in his car on the highway asleep. In the driver's seat, and it was just like, this oh, the is the future, man. Oh, jeez. Was it Tesla, or was it something it else? Was, it was a Tesla car. Yeah. Wow. Um, one more thing I want to add real quick is it says, Tesla says autopilot has been used for more than 130 million miles, noting that, on average, a fatality occurs every 94 million miles in the U.S. and every 60 million miles worldwide. Hey. Hmm. So their stats, you know, are, are still like kind of beating the average, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, 
I, f- I feel like with driving in general, you're always going to have accidents. It's not going to be it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Okay, the next article. Um, the headline is China's government must now approve every mobile game. And it reads, wow. as of July 1st, all mobile games must be pre-approved by the Chinese government at least 20 days before the release. It's a part of a sweeping new, it's part of sweeping new regulations to curb when, what, and how media is distributed in China. Though every game is impacted by this, it seems like it'll touch story-based games even more. And a little excerpt from the um, regulation says, application approval is contingent on storyline, content, character features, etc., and publications involving political, military, ethnic, or religious subjects are restricted. Mm, the headline is just China oppressive question <laughs> mark, and then it's just that's it because I swear, man, I'm not surprised at all. That's kind of yeah, why I mean, why I brought it up. I was just I was just kind of thinking, you know, it was Fourth of July recently, and I think uh, we China's got to really show how opposite they are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's really easy to 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 forget how truly free we are able to speak, you know, yeah. and how freely we are able to express ourselves. And it's very apparent when that's not happening, when you see things like this come out of China, you know, and it says like any changes made to a pre-existing game, including name changes, must re- be reported to uh, the state administration of press, publication, radio, film and television of the People's Republic of China and relevant provincial blah, blah, blah. It's just like it sounds like that, some Orwellian bullshit, you know, yeah. <laughs> so much like I can't imagine how complicated it already is like in America to get your game like approved and published and then have to go through all those extra steps <laughs> like that just sounds awful like how do you even make games? make sure you never say a bad thing about the yeah, east that's awful, yeah. but uh but yeah i mean i feel like it doesn't surprise me i almost kind of would have assumed if you would have asked me if those were in place already i would have probably guessed that yeah. but <laughs> yeah. but at the same time um it's just weird because it seems like they could either the biggest motivator is what I'm wondering in the whole, like, we need to look over everything, is the biggest motivator that they don't want people, like, slandering the Republic of China or, like, spo- like spouting, you know, what they c- claim to be false, you know, truths? Or is it more just, like, we just want to see everything and censor whatever we don't like, you know? It, like, I- I'm kind of just wondering how... How much it is about like we want to we want to have like a secure nation or if it's like we're going to we're going to make this nation exactly what we want it to be. Yeah, I think it's all those things wrapped up in one to some degree. You know, you have you can't look up anything about Tiananmen Square on China in, in, on Chinese Internet. You know, yeah. they don't want you to see that. Um, they don't want you slandering the government. They, they want the government their the image to be, you know, it's propaganda. It's it's a form of propaganda. And they, they want to control everything about how the government is represented, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if that, if that makes, like, the barrier to entry to be able to make mobile games, not only for, like, I'm sure for Chinese developers, but they probably know the, the gig. But, like, you know, as far as, like, American developers trying to, like, are they going to have to make another game if they want to enter into China that's, like, under certain regulations and stuff that... Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Like, you've got... We reported on... Or we reported on... We read news a long time ago <laughs> that... You heard you know, it the, Shang, the Shanghai Free Trade Zone was opening up to console sales and stuff. And yeah, if um, developers do want to publish over there, they're going to have to deal with these regulations, you know? 
Yeah. Well, it'll be Which interesting that just to see how that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I can't even like think of one American game that would just get approved right off the bat. At least not like a big one. <laughs> Angry Birds. <laughs> Why are this? <laughs> Who is this Pac-Man? <laughs> <laughs> Slowly uh, drifting into races. I, was gonna, <laughs> I almost drove it. I was like, ah, I'm actually going to check. Smart of you. <laughs> That's why we're bringing you on. We gotta have some. Yeah. We gotta have some <laughs> discernment here. <laughs> Okay, oh, this next news story kind of touches on one that we talked about briefly um, after E3. What are you fucking laughing at over there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's just got the giggles from the start, man. Uh, yeah, I've had I the giggles this whole podcast. That's I'm sorry. Great, it's time to though. sharpen up. It's time to sharpen up. Let's we'll see this. I'm here. What's it's going okay. on at E3? <laughs> All Microsoft published games will now be Xbox Play Anywhere. Microsoft has revealed that all games it publishes will now be a part of the Xbox Play Anywhere program. On the Windows blog, corporate vice president Yusef Mehdi writes, quote, every new title published from the Microsoft from Microsoft Studios will support Xbox Play Anywhere and will be easily easily accessible in the Windows store, end quote. Xbox Play Anywhere was introduced at E3 2016. Included games will be cross-buy and cross-play with Fuck. across Xbox One and, X and Windows 10 PC. This means a single purchase will unlock the game across both platforms and saves and achievements will be transferred across both versions. That's like the tightest thing I've ever fucking heard from Xbox so far. So is it is it what we were talking about in prior episodes about yes. the, uh, the computer, <laughs> the PC and... The console is that the play anywhere windows 10 and xbox one so yes okay, pc okay. and console well the last time we kind of talked about the fact that they're like getting they're investing a lot into the windows live program where you're essentially you're able to like play a lot of well, windows live was their old program oh what they used now? to do yeah now yeah, it's so windows play anywhere, play anywhere. Uh, now it's play anywhere well it was like yeah so before you could play all these like what were xbox exclusive games on pc which was pretty cool i was already pretty stoked about that because there's a lot of games that I want to play, but I'm never going to buy an Xbox, or I never at least plan to in the future. Um, so this is super cool because one, I can get a game that like Chase could have, I believe, on if he got it on Xbox, I could play with him on my PC, which is actually really. So they're kind really of bypassing cool. the problem surrounding having different consoles in the marketplace. They're, they're bypassing the problem that well, nobody bought their so Xbox. So there's this is a, <laughs> <laughs> okay. This, this is a multifaceted kind of business move, right? Because they're kind of making the word Xbox exclusive meaningless. Yeah. And so from a mm. hardware manufacturer's perspective, you're almost wondering like, what is the long-term play here? Because if I am someone who was thinking about buying an Xbox, but I have a PC, I don't need to buy your machine anymore. From a game publishing standpoint, it's great for Microsoft because now their games are going to be available to a much wider audience, right? Yeah. I'm wondering what you guys think about this approach because we're now seeing Xbox and PlayStation really start to differentiate themselves in more ways than just um, their exclusives where you've got the PlayStation 4 who's going to be putting out this slightly more powerful PlayStation Neo console this year. And then you have Xbox who is going to put out the, the um, Xbox Scorpio or Project Scorpio next year and it's going to be this most powerful console ever Um but they're also making all of their games cross-play. Mm. And what I want to talk about specifically, because I can only speak to... I, there's a lot of speculation going on online um, industry analysts who are weighing in in ways that are way more sophisticated than I could. So I just want to talk about my own sort of experience with what this is going to mean. Our friend Cole, who used to own an Xbox One, 
he now only owns a PC and it's like, well, I can't play my Xbox One games with him. So now I potentially could say like, okay, you can now you can buy Gears of War 4, you can buy Halo when it comes out and we can play together. That's really cool. But at the same time, as someone who owns an Xbox One currently and who rarely turns it on, and I see all these game, these consoles that are coming out in the near future, it says to me, like, I want to sell my Xbox as quick as possible yeah. to get as much money as I can um, before the, the value of it goes down, and then I'll just play their games on PC. But, and so that, to me, that kind of signals to uh, what I was saying earlier that it's kind of bad for their hardware. It's a bad look for selling hardware, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm still invested in the fact that consoles are uh, easy to hook up. It's a fun experience to be able to sit there on your couch and just play. And honestly, if someone does sell their Xbox in the meantime and they wait for Project Scorpio, they might be more inclined to buy it in a year or whenever um, once they see what it kind of looks like. It's it's just anyway, I'll stop there and I want to get your guys' opinion. It's like a like a clash or a cash for clunkers program but with xboxes like just trading your old shitty xbox that we've decided that's not really cool anymore trust us this new one's gonna be really cool um that's kind of interesting that you brought that up i didn't really even think about that for like how that might affect a current xbox one user and how you might be more inclined to just sell off your xbox but mm-hmm. um honestly i think there, i mean i think you told me this chase a long time ago that like when you sell a console it's always like more expensive than what people buy it for, but you bank on the fact that they buy games and software and all this stuff for the console that it like makes up for it in the long run. Yeah, so software case, sales is where the money is. Yeah, so in this case, like you're almost just kind of cutting that out. I mean, especially, I mean, if you were successful, that might not be a good idea, but they kind of know that like they're going to almost make more money. Like people are going to be, they're going to sell more games this way. Like it's easy enough. Like I'm already considering all the games I'm going to go and buy that are Microsoft published games that I wouldn't have before. So yeah. they're getting money off of me. Does that counterbalance everybody that might be? I don't like. Would it even really affect them for people to trade in their Xboxes and stuff right now because they already sold them to like GameStop it's, it's or whatever? Sold them, right? It's just also interesting because we're looking at them driving people to Windows 10 harder than ever, and it almost seems like Microsoft as a company is incorporating now the Xbox into their business strategy of getting everyone on their OS. You know, I wonder if there's a a part of the long con there where it's like, if we can get people using a PC to play games, they might start using a PC to buy our office suite and to use Windows 10 applications and things like that. I also think that by driving people to PC purchases, where PC, it's pretty much, it's it's widely accepted now, you buy digital games. Like, people don't buy physical games like they do Um, console. So now if you start driving all these people to buy your games digitally, you're also kind of locking out that used games market that you have to worry about losing money to as well, which I think is a win for them also. Yeah. It just, I guess my take from the limited knowledge that I have and kind of, I guess, looking at it from more of just like a business strategy standpoint is just that they, it seemed as though they're fully acknowledging that they kind of got beat down in regards to the quote-unquote console war, right? I absolutely agree. And that they are responding by diversifying and making their options more versatile than uh, what PlayStation or Sony is being able to offer. And they're they're, honestly, they're addressing real pain points, which is that people want to be able to play with each other and not like have, you know, multiple platform or like, 
you know, the PlayStation versus Xbox, like, I can't play with you because of that, or, like, you know, Xbox, PC, I can't play with you because of that. Yeah, and you buy the game once, and you get both platforms. I think yeah. that's amazing. And that I think it's, I think yeah, it's an, inc- extra I think I it's like an incredibly right. salient point, noting that um, they're, th- it's, it's dual benefits for them, because yeah. if they can really actually have the, the garnered, you know, the people that do have consoles or are willing to, uh, you know, invest in their software and their games and stuff like come to the PC realm and there and like maybe buy the suite through that. It's it's dual benefits for them because mm-hmm. then they also I mean, they're I don't know, they're just attacking it from multiple sides. And I think that they're sort of like formally saying like, OK, play, uh, PlayStation, like you have the forefront console. Cool. But we're going to have more options available in almost like the, it sounds like they're creating kind of like an ecosystem like like the Apple ecosystem of sorts, you know? Yeah, another wrinkle I want to add in as well is, let's say, what what if we take the perspective of someone who doesn't own an Xbox One right now, right? Mm. They have it set up where it's going to be cross-buy, and what they've announced with Project Scorpio is that no matter what uh, software you buy, it's going to work across all platforms. So if I buy an Xbox One game, it's going to work on the original Xbox One, the Xbox One Slim, and the souped-up Xbox One, and it's never going to be the case. So all games from this point forward until they make an even bigger shift in like you know five years or whatever it is, all games from this point are going to be forwards compatible. So when you buy it, it's going to work across all of their console slates. Wow. So if That's I'm a, a PC yeah. gamer now, and I don't own an Xbox One, and I start buying their Microsoft published games, which is actually giving me a copy of the game on the Xbox. So like, like you said, I'm building a library of games in the Xbox ecosystem. And then they come out, because you better bet your ass Microsoft is working hard right now to, to m- m- ratchet up its marketing to make you want to buy Project Scorpio. One of those points is like, hey, all those games you bought over the past year and a half, they're here too, you know? Yeah. And, you know, sell. a PC gamer might not ever need a console, and it's probably going to be a hard sell to get someone from PC to, to jump to console simply because they have a library there. But I think it is still a, a, a bullet point, you know? Yeah. Yep. And I, and I would say that, like, for somebody like me, I don't really have any aspirations or background in the PC realm. So I think it's good that they're not just like completely abandoning their efforts with the console. It's not like they're like, oh, well, we're not going to do consoles anymore or anything. It's like they're still making new, newer consoles and still trying to ratchet it up and like at least put on a good show for people that do want to have a good, like a console or whatever. So and, and now it just makes it a more versatile um offering because now I can if if I want to play with you I can you know play it on the console play it on the PC you know it's also a good look because I know PlayStation is also coming out with kind of like a new console for themselves as well right or like a new souped up version of a PlayStation right and that's what everybody was thinking before was like okay is this just gonna like op like make my old PlayStation obsolete? Mm. And they were like, "Oh, don't worry, like everything will be forward compatible." But nobody knew if like everything will be backwards compatible. Like new games are only gonna come out for that or whatever. So it's kind of like a year move situation for PlayStation too, because they don't want this to kind of turn around and like, because I think Microsoft looks really good doing this. Yeah, they, like I everybody agree. looks like, "Oh, okay, that was like a cool thing for you guys to do." It's a slick move. Yeah, it's a very slick, smooth, swab <laughs> move. All right, and PlayStation has something here that they may need to make sure that they stay looking good after this too, because people will shift very easily, especially mm. when they're given all these options now with Microsoft software. Yeah, they yeah, I agree. Complacent. I mean, like they may not have the console, the lion's share of the console market right now, but 
the only reason everybody went over to PlayStation was because of the marketing blunder of Xbox. It's mm-hmm. not like PlayStation 4 has exclusives. It's got great exclusives, but it wasn't selling all of its um, consoles originally on the back of those exclusives. It was no. just on the back of the messaging. And at any point in time, Xbox can like come out and give people a reason to give a shit about their consoles again. I know when you're on the internet, it seems like PlayStation will have the upper hand forever and always, but that's just not the case, you know? No, not at all. I mean, I, I'm surprised that you say that, though, Chase, considering that you own both. Would you say, what What would you say is the better machine? The PlayStation 4 absolutely is a better is a better console. Well, I feel oh, like okay. that's got to play into it, be just selling better, too. I mean, I'm sure the other people yeah. found that as well. You know? Yeah, but absolutely. Like it it does, lot, perf- yeah. It, yeah, it performs better. It's um, as in like the the graphics look better on it. It's a its interface. I think is a, is much simpler, and you know there's all that as well. But anyway, but yeah, great story. I like. That's it. a good one. Yeah, yeah. This is really cool because it's it's the first time I've kind of noticed where all the industry insiders and the pundits and the analysts are kind of all disagreeing with each other or don't know what to think about these new strategies from both of the console makers now. And I just like that we're coming to a point of divergence. And I like that the market after this year is going to be fundamentally changed. We're going to have potentially iterative concert consoles, which we've never seen before. VR is going to be launching, is going to be fully launched out there this year. There is just a lot going on. And I love that. It's so new, you know? Yeah. I just like that I can play Gears of War with uh, you guys now. That's, that's super dope, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I heard really the whole time. All right. The last story. The Street Fighter V finals at EVO 2016 will be broadcast live on ESPN2. Shairukin.com announced that the finals of the Street Fighter V World Championships at EVO 2016 will be carried live on ESPN2, saying, quote, the Street Fighter V World Championships will be one of the most must-see competitions for the EVO finals, end quote. And that's coming from John Lasker, ESPN's digital media's VP of Programming and Acquisitions. More than four thousand or more than five thousand people are signed up to take part in the SF5 tournament, a record-setting mark for a single game at Evo. Yeah. I mean that's that's super cool. And I'm I'm Excited to see what the difference is going to be to where, like, how many people watch it on ESPN versus how many people watch it on Twitch. I'm not sure, like, Mm. I mean, when you think about where you're going to go watch this, nobody's going to, like, that's cool. But watching game tournaments and stuff on Twitch is incredibly comfortable to me. And also with, like, modern technology or my PlayStation, I can watch it like I'm watching it on TV anyway. Uh, I think it's really awesome, but, like... I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make that it's on ESPN. I wanted to ask you, Max, and the way I wanted to frame the question was, how big of an opportunity do you think this is for Street Fighter? And if it is a big opportunity, how can they best capitalize on it? I think that it needs to look as good as possible. As like stupid as that sounds, I think the problem with the FGC is that it looks so immature a lot of the times. And that really sucks, especially when you compare it to like the high profile esports games like League of Legends or Dota or whatever, where it's like literally professional. When you look at that, it's like it's just a game, but it's taken, you know, you could easily replace it with basketball or anything like that. And it looks it's still fundamentally the same the way everything is set up with talk shows and things like that. While the FGC is a lot less like well put together. I think Evo is the best Often one for sure. Often behind on schedule and stuff. Yeah, man. Things wow. just yeah tend to fall behind and stuff. And people just kind of chalk it up to the to the culture, but it needs to look really good right now if they want. Cause I think the most important thing here isn't like, Oh sick. Now all of us that watch street fighter can watch it on ESPN. It's 
how many people are going to be on ESPN and be like, what's this? And like, check it out for the yeah. first time. I mean, that's the biggest issue. So I, mean, I, think, I, it's, yeah. I think it's pretty incredible, incredible that 5,000 people are signed up for the tournament. I think that's already like just showing how popular Street Fighter V has become. Um, mm-hmm. and is a testament to how good that game is. But I think really it's going to come down to them staying on schedule like you're talking yeah. about. The announcers honestly need to be on fucking point. Dude, like, that's so true. Like whoever is going to be commentating on those needs to be perfect because that's what makes it a fun thing to watch for people who, I mean, even when I, I know a lot about Street Fighter, like it can be super boring without good commentary. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like with the amount of people that are into Street Fighter and, and you know, e- e-gaming or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like you'd think that they would have the resources to be able to have good commentators yeah. there. Like, I'm sure I'm sure you and Chase could be good enough commentators That's to be true. able to suffice, you know? <laughs> well, I think also, I mean, with Evo, and it's going to be just the finals, which is top eight, there's always, like, the best commentators on that. So I don't think that should be too much of a problem. It is a lot of pressure, but I don't think there should be any issue with it, though. I think, honestly, really, the commentating problem really only happens, like, as you get further into pools or top 32 or something like that. We have to I split also them think up. even just the possibility of like a mirror match being in the finals could be potentially harmful. You know, like you got to make the boring. game, like you said, look as interesting as possible. Yeah. I really do think the optics of it are going to be the most important part. It's got to be important. Yeah. All right. It makes me really wish I had gone to Evo this year. That would have been <laughs> super sick. That would have been dope. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be watching it in a bar. It's going to be sweet. Yeah, man. it's going to be sweet. <laughs> um, all right, well, that's all the news, so let's hop over to halftime, and we'll come back in just a moment. Okay, pet up, pet up. If you want to follow the show once the mics have turned off, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Witty Banter Show. Also, like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash wittybanterpodcast, and help the show get discovered by leaving a review on iTunes. And finally, steer the conversation by sending a question to wittybantershow at gmail.com or suggest a beer for us to review by going to our website, wittybantershow.com. That's enough plugs. Let's get back to the show. Like a car started. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, what do you guys think about the pineapple sculpin? Max, what do you got on it, man? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. (laughs) Nah, I mean, I like it a lot. It's a lot uh, less, like, off-putting with the pineapple flavor than I thought it would be. Um, I think that it's just a nice, like, hint on there, Nat. Like, like we were comparing it earlier to the Not Your Father's Root Beer. It's a hint of pineapple. It's very light, other than on smell, which is perfect because, like, you smell it, but that's still disassociated with the taste at the end of the day. I mean, I like it a lot. It's got a nice, crispy, refreshing taste. I like it better than the regular Sculpin. I think so, too, man. I tried a little bit of the regular Sculpin, and I, I like it better. I think it's really good. Yeah, me me as well. Like, when I smell it, it doesn't honestly have much of a strong smell. You kind of get that pineapple. You also get, like, just a uh, like some floral notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, when, you, when you take a drink of it, it's, it's kind of water. It's, it's not watery in a bad sense. It's just thinner. It's mm. and it's easy to drink because of that, and I can take a big gulp of this kind of you know bigger IPA, and it goes down really easy because it starts out sweet and then it just finishes and it lingers on that hoppy bitterness, and it's like a really cool f- flavor profile. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like it's. I mean, when I compare it to the to the normal Sculpin, it just seems a little bit more mellow. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, like the the normal Sculpin's a little bit hoppier and a little bit like has more body, uh, I guess just because of like 
I don't know, the alcohol or something. I don't know. But <laughs> it's, it's, I guess when I had the pineapple one, it's a lot more mellower and like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not too much pineapple. It's actually, I actually kind of wish there was a little more pineapple just cause, <laughs> just cause Where's I, the pineapple? I, I, yeah, I, I was <laughs> expecting like a super legitimate waff of, uh, of pineapple, but I think that they did it very well and it is, yeah. it's like a sessionable, legitimate IPA, you know, it's not, it's again, it's not a gimmicky beer. It's, it's just, way it's more long term this way without being such a gimmick beer. Like if it was, we'd be like, ooh, pineapple, then we would never <laughs> drink it again. Yeah. But I could definitely see myself like picking this up, like you looking through. get a six pack of this. Yeah, I would like look through, yeah, a set of beer and just be like, oh yeah, that one. So that's cool. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and step right. on over to the segment. We're going to bring back one that we did a long time ago called Get to Know Your Banterers. Oh. Hey, my name is. <laughs> hey. Oh, no, you, oh, no, you no, go my bad. What, Have what's I seen your you favorite? Um, I'm Wait, sorry, you what think? was that? Get to know, know your banners. And this one was made to sort of just highlight kind of who we are. It was a way for us to get to uh, to tell who we are to the listeners so that they could, you know, understand what makes us tick and why we're so fucking crazy. And I, <laughs> I love since, these guys so much. And, you know, <laughs> since, Max, it's your first time on the show as an actual host, it's time oh. that we get some questions into you so that people know who you really are. <laughs> into me. Awesome. Yeah, right on you. <laughs> so I've got I'm a question excited. that I'm going to present. Um, I know Hunter, you prepared one as well. Who do you want? Who do you want to go first? You go first. Are they specifically aimed at me? Kind of. Yeah, I uh, figure yeah. we could all jump in. I on thought them. we would all, yeah, be yeah. A part of it. Want to be a part since, of the group? Since some listeners may have just recently met you, Max, I wanted to okay. ask to you: How did you meet all of us, Ooh. Hunter and Chase? So, where did the friendships begin? How did they start? So and how did they possibly flourish <laughs> or hopefully will soon? Um, I think for you and me, Chase, it's pretty obvious where it started. We shared a theater class in seventh or eighth, eighth grade? grade, eighth grade. Well, we I met think that's before we, then we met, but I'm talking about the first time <laughs> I sound like a schoolgirl talking about, like, <laughs> I met my husband and I was at my locker. And you came over to my locker. And With a like, flower. Yeah, exactly. You tapped on my shoulder. You breathed in my ear. I looked around. I found a note. No. You, <laughs> you just came over to my locker. And we had like kind of talked before. We both, uh, you know, I think in, at that time in our lives, were very big into like Bam Margera, into the skateboarding oh, yeah. scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah, we were yeah. very cool kids. Uh, you heard that I played a little bit of a Tony Hawk. I think you had seen a pinch of me uh, playing Tony Hawk with our, our mutual friend, Riley Cannon. We went over yeah. and played a little mm-hmm. bit at his house. And you're just like, hey, dude, you're just very straightforward. You're like, hey, man, you want to come over to my house tonight? We'll play some Tony Hawk. And I was just like, yeah, yeah that'd be cool. <laughs> and I, I fucking that? did. Yeah. Oh, you oh, over I don't oh, remember yeah. being that, that bullish. And I fucking, <laughs> and we went over to, it was the first time I'd been to your fucking cool ass capstone house. Oh, yeah, the, the sickest cap- upstairs the room. super long uh, very room long that room. you lived in. <laughs> the super long with the surfboard room. in it. Uh, punching bag in there as well. It was super sick. <laughs> you had an American Stratocaster in Acid there. And I was girl. like, what is this? Yeah, Acid yeah, Girl Acid was there. Girl in there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, dude, we just, that was like the first time we ever hung out, really, like just us. And we just played Tony Hawk's Underground like all fucking night. Damn. It was super sick. I, yeah, yeah, it was I awesome. I do remember bonding over you pretty intensely over our, I would say, more archaic musical taste at that time. Yeah. Like, I didn't know anybody, and it was through Bam Margera that you and I discovered most of these bands, but I didn't know anybody who liked the 69 Eyes oh, or yeah. or him or... Um, who was another? Oh fuck! I just I just had it in my head. I had one just a second ago, but it... CKY, did. obviously, yeah. but anyway, it was just like, dude, 
you like this band? You're like, I love that band. What? Like, oh Nobody my god! Else got sixty nine eyes. Like, I feel like you and me were the only two people that liked that band, dude. And we fucking loved that band. I think that's still true to this band. day. Yeah, I was gonna say honestly, I might go listen to that album on the way home because <laughs> that was sick. So is that like the same like? You know, is that how you remember us first meeting for the first yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, I remember meeting you at Riley's house, mm-hmm. and that was when I was first introduced to you. And I remember having seeing you show up in my um, theater class, and I was like, hey, we're going to be, like, I got to be friends with somebody <laughs> in here. You know, like. It's you. We're friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was cool. Uh, I think for me and Hunter, like, that's kind of funny because I feel like me and Hunter had a slow, slow build since the beginning. Because <laughs> technically, I met Hunter before the most powerful you. powerful climaxes, man. Uh, dude, for real. It's been a long time coming, and <laughs> we are just now amazing friends. No, no I mean, I think, like, uh, we met... I mean, technically, we met a long time ago. We went to we, we went, went to, to Barbara Bush Barbara together. Bush together. And, we went and to, did you go there from kindergarten? Yeah, kindergarten. Yeah, all I the went way there up as through. kindergarten as we well. We got a five year precursor of us just hanging out as babies, essentially, <laughs> to yeah. really feel each other out first. In kindergarten or in Barbara Bush, you were mostly hanging out with B Max. I that was, point, yeah. Right? Me, okay. me and Brian Maxwell, yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. Cool. Uh, so we kind of like. Yeah, so after that, I think we kind of met more so through you, Chase, I would say, for the most part. I feel like we started hanging out mostly through Chase, I yeah. would say, probably. Right? Seventh, eighth grade. Yeah, we. I started coming over to Chase's place. You started coming over to Chase's place. We were hanging out. Everybody hanging. And Guitar Hero just blew me away. I, think, and I was just like, I got to get into this. <laughs> you know? I mean, honestly, and, what really brought us all together was Guitar Hero, let's be honest. <laughs> that and Dynasty Warriors. Formed, <laughs> Dynasty Warriors and Guitar Hero is what brought us all together for the most In part. Cole Blair's house. Oh, dude, yeah. Cole's house for sure. I miss that place a lot, man. <laughs> but I remember just talking to you, and it was a long time ago. I know we talk about anime and stuff now a lot, but a long time ago we both like kind of found out almost by accident that we both loved like the same anime shows that nobody else we did because you like you haka show way back when did we talk about that in high school it was like yeah i mean like we had flirted with it was it true it was clearly then. really meaningful for hunter yeah i know right did i did i, I see that i just know really? that him, like and the I best have, day of my life. him and i have talked about that show being like a focal point that we both are like, yep, we get it, you know. <laughs> this is, but this I didn't is know us. it went all the way back to like fucking ninth grade. It went stuff. all the way back to um, uh, well, I would say I will bring up that like Mortal Kombat Armageddon because that's when I remember talking oh, about. Oh, dude, it. Armageddon was pretty influential because as fucking well. Dude. <laughs> Fighting games have always been my domain. <laughs> And then one fateful night, and just for one night, it was it was Hunter a got glorious his hands night <laughs> on the creative character in Mortal Kombat Armageddon. It's not just one night; he also whipped our shit with E Honda that other time. Oh yeah, there was that, that was night Street too. Fighter Five, and I'll always hold that glory <laughs> in the front of my mind. That was ridiculous. That's what inspired me to play Street Fighter. But that was seriously like I spent a lot of time like building my character, making sure all of the combos like flowed into each other really well, and then making sure that all of my sword attacks were like super on the up and up. And I felt kind of had like a, yeah, on Armageddon, kind of had like a competitive edge there. But then of course, like you guys just did the same thing and better than me. And I lost, (laughs) I lost all of my competitive edge within one freaking night. The fact that you discovered all that sick creative character tech, bravo, was great. But yeah, I do remember <laughs> that you just like literally whipped me and Riley's ass all fucking night with them. And the and second like, you went to bed, to bed, the second you went to bed, we were just like, fuck this. And we like got out of our sleeping bags. We fucking turned the lights on. It was at your house. We were just like, turn that fucking game on. We're breaking this character down. You sinister. We fucking did. And we waited. We didn't even sleep. We waited for you to get up the next morning to play again. <laughs> 
Wasn't his name Meridius? Uh, yes, yes, it was Meridius. You're such a Any dork, dude. Gladiator hey. fans out there. <laughs> Come on, man. Got to get into that gladiator, though. <laughs> gladiator tech. Oh, man. So, yeah. It's, okay. I mean, we've been friends for a long time, all of us, I would say. Yes. I mean, it's over been a very decade? Fulfilling. Over a decade, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess eighth grade, in eighth yeah. grade, we are 14. So, yeah, yeah officially at least a decade. Yeah. I think it's almost like half my life now, I feel like. I feel like comfortably. It's right now, from this point forward, I'm going to start, I'm going to have known you for longer than I haven't known you. Yeah, which is so. always a fun fact. That is a fun, very fun fact. <laughs> a little tidbit. Great fact. Take it home, Excellent. chew it. So thank you for that question. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I'm going to allude to the fact that you talked about Bam Argera. Okay. And what I'm going to ask is, I feel like we all have like a general set point with which we view ourselves, and we all fluctuate a little bit from that set point. What do y'all feel like is the biggest quote-unquote phase that you've ever dived oh, into? Man. I feel like Chase has a few, I know. Uh, I know I Max has one or two. Do you... What do you like, mean what would you say? Into? Yeah, no, like, I, I, mean, I know I have phases. It's, it's self-claim. Like, you, you describe... I mean... <laughs> do you? This is, where, this is where us being friends, we can call each other out on being fully truthful, but... Self-claim, you know, what your phase was, what, why you got into it, and how, I mean, how it, you know. Obviously, you're probably not in as big of a phase now, but, uh, you know. Fortunately, growing up. What's yeah. something that impacted you heavily and that was like an identifier for you at one point? Would you say something that, like, identified me then, but I'm over it now? Or something probably. that, like, left a trail? I feel like that's why it's a phase, because it's like you went in and then you're out of it now. Man, what would be a good... Phase. I mean, the most obvious phase I can think of is what every kid from my generation, for the most part, maybe other than you guys, is that I went through a very, very, very strong emo phase. In my life. <laughs> I mean, I was the emo friend out of our group of friends. Like, you, that you was were me. Super fucking emo, man. That was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, well, that's interesting. It. Like, yeah, right. You never acted emo. It was a stylistically, it was a stylistic. It choice. was definitely a fashionable thing. It was a fashion thing, you know. You had the skinny jeans, skinny girl jeans. You had long, flowing hair. Very long, flowing hair <laughs> that went right down half of my face. It was perfect. <laughs> it was beautiful. Tight band shirts is all I wore. Were just band t-shirts all the time. Did that like bring about a different a different group of friends when you were in that phase? Yeah, because you did you, have like a whole different say, I think life you know them now. Yeah, because the ones that trailed into it are definitely Nick Dunter I mean, Horset. Yeah, Dunter. <laughs> yeah, me and Dunter. I know a guy with a very similar name to you, Dunter. <laughs> nah, man. Me and yeah, like you guys would always call me out on that all the time because I would have to like leave or not be able to hang out with you guys to hang out with We're my like, quote unquote other people? friends that didn't go to the same school as we did. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would, that would hang out with Nick and then like that collective group of friends, and uh, that was like, yeah, I think that was. Where I was more fitting in, I would say, was yeah. that kind of group. Because I think they were all in the same phase that I was at the time. Uh -huh. So I'd say that's my strongest one, unless you have... That's the one I remember the most. Yeah. I think of yours, at least. I just remember um, I was in football off-season with all you guys, because I would do the off-season sports so I could hang out with my sport friends. Mm -hmm. And I was in football off-season, and the coach was just picking out people and calling them out for having uh, too long of hair. And I remember <laughs> at the time... I had like the full on front long over the eye cut, right? 
And of course, I'm just like got my head down. I'm like, he's gonna fucking pick. Of course, he picks me, forces me to stand up. And the second I do, everybody in the football team, which is like, emo. No. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I was just like, Damn, Those ruthless bastards. Yeah, everybody was nice. Everybody was my friend. What friends, you so. wanted though, Max? Yeah, I lived it. I relished in it. He's like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> so, what about you guys? What are your phases? For it was hard for me to really think of one, but I think one that I can point to as being like the one that had a beginning and an end was senior year of high school when I got kind of like my first long, my first serious girlfriend that became a long-term girlfriend. I sort of like stopped hanging out with you guys as much. I started hanging out with her all the time. And I really think my lifestyle changed from that point forward. And thinking back, it's one of those things where I can totally see a definable start and a definable finish where I'm glad it's, I'm glad, I'm glad it's over. And... <laughs> I wish that I would have instead of like hung out with you guys more, you know, it's, it's kind of yeah. one of those things where there was definitely a phase where it was like the first time I'd ever felt like big feelings towards another person. And I kind of, I got like really swept up in them, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's that a very sweet phase. Yeah. I feel like that in it's, it's a, it's a forgivable thing. I mean, it's, I actually saw like a meme about this and it was like the top, the top line says something about like, you know, when your friend is, is gone with this girl for like nine months and then the bottom says, and then acts like nothing happened. And <laughs> everyone's talking a lot of shit like, this is the worst thing you could ever do as a friend, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, y'all clearly don't know what you're talking about because that happened to me as well. And that's not going to be my answer, but I completely understand. Like, if you're, if you're not a good enough friend to forgive somebody for going through something like that, then, like, you don't deserve good friends. It's you not know? even, like, something to forgive somebody for. I agree. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, that was something. Yeah. Okay, you're busy <laughs> with your, yeah, somebody who's very important to you now and could be somebody very important to you in the future. All right, whatever. I'll always be here to whoop your ass in Street Fighter. <laughs> Second, <laughs> nice. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Just slip that in. Second, uh, honorable mention is the phase I had after taking a introduction. This is the worst kind of phase: taking an introductory logic course and thinking I was the fucking best arguer in the world and arguing with everybody. After that. <laughs> That's a good one. That. I can yeah. definitely honorable, see honorable that. Honorable mention. <laughs> cool, right. cool. What do we, Hunter, what do we say, Hunter? Um, I just remember in fifth grade that I first started like thinking of myself in like in the in the realm of like clothes and my style and stuff. In fifth grade, that Damn, was like that's early. Well, that's like well, not like I cared about it a lot, but like it I'm was right there with you, man. It's well, the first well, like time in you elementary chose what school, you, you don't give yeah. a crap about any of that. You just you grab know? the first shirt you saw. My mom like put on my clothes for, yeah. for a long time. <laughs> um, but I remember in fifth grade taking a little bit more pride in how I came across. And this is when, uh, you know, frosted tips were kind of in the works. And I think <laughs> I had those for a bit. And I also <laughs> had like, I, I had also frosted tips. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, that, I uh, had frosted tips. I had like the little strand. It, I didn't have like an entire yes. just skunk top of, uh, of blonde highlights, but it was like the little like tidbits you oh, know that you front, just get you shot it out the front well you got it on the front but then like the little just marks around <laughs> the top of your head as well so that was super goofy i had like different necklaces that i, that I would say, wear dude. i had like they weren't puka shells but they were like beaded oh yeah necklaces. To wear puka we all know exactly what you're <laughs> <talking>. <laughs> i wore one of those as well oh, they yeah. Were, yeah they were like kind of yeah. like g dark green and earthy looking i guess and then i also had like a chain 
that I was oh. really into. Uh, <laughs> you know, and like I also <laughs> I also had like um, kind of like baggier shirts, and then I'd have like uh, like shorts or no, they were pants, but they would be like unzippable halfway down. So I could turn them pants. into shorts. Convertibles, yeah. <laughs> Convertibles. <laughs> yeah, those are and uh, I don't know. I just remember like, like really like having a set way that like I would only wear this kind of stuff like in fifth and sixth grade. And that was also when I started getting into like girls, thinking about girls for the first time. And I wanted them to think I was cool. And I like you just described the late nineties. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like frosted tips. I uh, was heavily influenced by the late nineties. Super 90s. tan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Those yeah, were great awesome. questions. We should get uh, Tom Reichardt to write in about his favorite phase. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, he slipped into one or two as well. Oh, man. Phase king. <laughs> All right. Well, that's been Get to Know Your Banters. Max, once again, I want to welcome you to the show. You're going to be a great addition. Thank I you. I can't wait to see all the episodes to come. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for Let's taking go- the heat off of me a little bit. Yeah. You know? You're welcome. I can't really talk that much out of my ass, so now I have another person to talk out of his ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the only place I talk from. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to Nick's Mail Corner. It's Nick's Mail Corner. Let's do it. Buckle up. We got a few questions. The first one has a massive subject line. That I don't know if I'm supposed to read out loud, but I'm going to read it out loud to you guys. And I'm going to just get, tell me what you think. I it's think you Chase. got it, yeah. I'm not going to explicitly say that I need a cool intro, but I heard your intro for Darian, and honestly, I'm a little jealous because I could be the quote-unquote queen of love and beauty if you give me a chance. <laughs> so somebody a little jealous. Yeah, I think that I think so. <laughs> but there can only be one queen of love and beauty. I'm sorry, Dunter Horset, <laughs> and it's the Dare Bear. It is. <laughs> <laughs> then Dunter Horset goes on to say, Max, why would you purposely make fun of make fun of Hunter's name? Question mark. Afro Dorset? Question mark. Seems a tad bit rude. I'm just saying. Don't worry, Hunter. I got what? you back. No one will make fun of you with me around with a winky <laughs> face. <laughs> I hope y'all are y'all are getting the irony there, right? Because Wait, his, what, are, here, yeah, what are you talking about, Funter, Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> Don't call me Funter. Oh, man. Then he goes, anyway, numbnuts, I have another question. If you could bring any fictional character to life, TV or book, who would it be and why? Dunter, Crabapple, Horset. <laughs> <laughs> See, Whoa. like, I actually got a peek at this, uh, you know, like right after he had sent it. And I started thinking about it like super intently. And I realized that it's actually a really hard question because he's pretty vague. It's just like any literally fictional any fictional character and you bring them to life. So there's so many far reaching implications on like what you do with the person or like <laughs> how that person affects your reality. Your day to day life go. Yeah. From that I point mean, forward. What is the deal after that? So, I mean, is anybody jump out at you guys? <sighs> I mean, I think our minds all like immediately shoot to like. Not like superheroes, but like, you know, Master Roshi or Goku or somebody that could train yeah. me. In the, yeah. I was thinking about training, <laughs> too. I kind of want a sensei would, Yeah, sorts. somebody that could just, just train me. Kai would be cool. That would be sick. Ginkai would that be That seems like that would be harder training sick. and less fun. I agree. Point. Less talking about babes. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah, just schmooze her over with nudie mags like I could. <laughs> Master, Master Roshi. Roshi. Exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was kind of going with a... I was trying to think of a character that is going to be more... Uh, in a role that's like masterful, you know, mm-hmm. to teach you. Yoda I mean, you learn is a good from. choice, yeah. I think, in that regard. Um, but Pi May. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. If wow. I could train under Pi May, 
Now that would be tough. You couldn't. Yeah, that would sounds honestly awful. I mean, great in the long run. Yeah, you'd be a. You're baller. just signing up for years of pain. See, I kind of almost think it would be cool as well to have a person who's going to be a pal. You know, you know who sticks out? Yeah, buddy. Pikachu. Fucking you know, imagine. You got it, dude. You're too much with the Pikachu. <laughs> no more Stop Pikachu. I Pikachu. Don't, where did the Pikachu come from? I, I just want to know. I just feel like having a you want Pokemon. A you want a glorified dog? I want a dog that can electrocute the shit out of you. Well, this makes me wonder, actually, what kind of fucking badass sentient pets are out there that we're not picking up on right now? I yeah, that's know. the other I mean, realm. Is like, what sick, yeah, like animal beast do you want hanging around you the whole time? Like the, the wolves from Game of Thrones. Oh, dude, like dire wolves would be pretty dire fucking wolves cool. Be pretty fucking man. dope. You can ride agree, that thing man. everywhere, but it's still like tame enough for you to just like hang out. In fact, there are a lot on. of characters from Game of Thrones that'd be pretty cool to bring around. Like who? I don't know. I just think it would be cool to know. like Every, everybody sucks think, in Game dude, of Thrones. Okay, I think I know my answer, man. What is it? Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> I'm gonna wife that bitch. She, she <laughs> is bringing her into wife. She's her. like the top, as far as like fictional characters. Like she's the most attractive for me. Yeah, like as she describe as she is described by anybody who describes her in the books, is just like. Okay, I want you to think of the most beautiful person you can possibly throw that in the trash. and crank that up to 10. Yeah. <laughs> and Literally, plus just like people having... are traveling the world to go and try to bed this woman. Like and, and then I can also kind of like cheat a little bit and say like, she's a mother of dragons. Well, I might have no dragons, dragons if, I bring, if yeah. I bring her. You don't get the, the army. They don't take the army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They won't respect me at first. <laughs> you know, once they get older, they'll understand. We'll stuff the dragon. <laughs> Okay, next question. <laughs> this one comes from Mandy Elkins, who's just doing a double time on Witty Banter, man. She's suggestion beer. She sends in emails. We've got a, a new super dude. fan of Working the podcast. overtime right now. I know. I'm loving it. Yeah. We need to introduce Mandy to Ben and let them create the Witty Banter fan club. Wow. <laughs> That's a great idea. She says, hey, guys, random question for y'all. How do Pokemon procreate? I don't think I ever saw the show explain that concept, and I'm intrigued to know your theories. Have a good one, Mandy. I'm going to put this one on the kibosh. They fuck. Uh, you think Pokemon not, there's not like different sexes. Organs? They're not different sexes. Yeah, though. they never really... They're all the same. They're, there's dude, no females. They never... <laughs> they <laughs> no, fuck they're not. like animals, They're dude. pocket <laughs> monsters, <laughs> Chase. <laughs> like you wouldn't believe dude, these Pokemon are fucking. <laughs> uh, no, like, I could have sworn it was explained at some point. Like how there become more Pokemon how, than there were? Where did... um? The eggshell Pokemon come from. Remember when they found little right? Turca, so there Turcus, were eggs. Turkish something. Well, I'm sure well, they were laid by another Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. You know what else got laid? Like a chancy animals, or maybe <laughs> maybe an executor. No, but uh, I mean, as well. if you're gonna go ahead and just outright say that they're fucking Chase, who who puts on the best show? <laughs> who, who's, who would I pay most to watch? Yeah, Magmar, for sure. Lava, everywhere, sure, dude. Mr. Mime and Mr. Mime. You know who I? You know who I'd uh, probably give that prize to? Lick a tongue. That'd probably be crazy. That probably would be pretty amazing. Do some work <laughs> with that. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, God. Jinxy would be or Jinx would be pretty uh, pretty hot to try as well. Okay. This last question is a big one, so I hope you guys are ready. Oh, no. Cool. I didn't know we had three. What's your favorite color? <laughs> this one comes from Max Kelleher. 
Mr. NASA. Shout out to Max Kelleher real quick. Hey, man, I'm really sorry I didn't do an NCAA bracket. This is the first time in like seven years that me and him weren't in the same bracket. And also shout out to Max Kelleher. The only reason you won a couple years ago is because I didn't pay my money in. Oh, yeah. He got second place, but technically it was first place because you were too scared. still a little salty. (laughs) Max owes him like 50 bucks. (laughs) He says, hey, fellas, I hope all of you are doing well. I've not spoken to either of you since high school, but I heard your podcast and finally heard you had a podcast. I finally decided to give it a listen. I've only listened to episode 65, but I really enjoyed it. I think humans consume nearly nonstop and that there is a great beauty in producing. For for what very little it's worth, I'm proud of both of you and hope you continue producing art and expressing yourselves. What an amazing guy. Max is so cool, man. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. I'm blushing. (laughs) (laughs) He's always been the better Max, I feel like. I can attest to Chase blushing. Okay, the question. After listening to episode 65, I'd like to share something with both of you that I've been thinking a lot about in hopes that that you cover a bit of it for your show and I can hear your opinion on the matter. Many people are familiar with the STEM movement, science, technology, engineering, and math in education, focusing on hard sciences in hopes of pushing kids and teenagers into careers in those fields. In the past few years, though, there has been a growing movement to push STEM into STEAM, the A being arts. I want to know your two cents on how the arts should fit into an academic education. Mm. It seems artists often beat engineers to an initial idea, which makes sense. It's easier to portray a teleporter than actually develop one. But these artist portrayals of far-out devices inspire engineers who get to work and develop new technologies that in turn inspire artists to push the envelope with new ideas. It seems like a very mutualistic relationship. For instance, the first episode of Star Trek premiered on September 8th, 1966. The Apollo program was well underway from NASA, with the first landing on the moon being on July 20th, 1969. It appears artists and engineers were a part of the same cultural spirit, with one challenging and helping out the other to succeed, especially nowadays when the problems we face are so complicated there are few if any more simple solutions how we proceed as a species will take creativity and ingenuity something some engineers lack but the best artists have in spades that really means it (laughs) was a big kick-ass question max thank you so much for asking it and i am really excited to dive into it that is the perfect question i kind of have an idea of what my answer would be so i want to get your guys's first knee-jerk reactions um like he he's right i mean there's there's always the age old question of like who is the most i mean if you have to pin him up like who is the most responsible for like like technology and stuff moving forward or like you know innovative technology and things like that cuz a lot of the times it comes from people's ideas and these people most of the time don't have like the abilities to really develop it and i think the obvious one is like you know apple where you have steve jobs and then you have um I was like, I can't even think of the programmer's name, like Wines or whatever. Wozniak. Yeah, Wozniak. Yeah, Wozniak, who like actually developed everything for Apple. And all Steve Jobs was was really like the idea man. So it's like, who was more important at that? You know, Um, I think the arts are incredibly important. I think that it's. Yeah, you're you're an artsy guy. I'm an artsy, fartsy kind of guy. You're studying a STEM degree. Yeah, exactly. Um, But that being said, it's it's just arts are. I mean, yeah, you're saying that I'm an artsy guy, so maybe it's just something that's like innately to me, but to me, it's always going to feel easier. It's always going to feel something that's more lax on rules. So that means that there's less like pressure, there's less um, 
things to be really graded on. That's like, but I think that's exactly what Hunter has pushed back when he talks about his disdain sometimes for liberal arts and writing is that lack of rules creates a situation where you can then um, judge things a little, which in a way that might seem too subjective. Yeah, you know? Everybody's gotten an English paper back and been like, fuck you. Yeah, that's you know, exactly spend, what I, you know what I mean? to. Yeah, honestly, like I've gotten a lot of English papers back that I was like, that's malarkey, you know? Yeah. And that almost kind of, I feel like, decredits a lot of the arts because it's just so ambiguous and subjective at times. And mm-hmm. I prefer a more like objective approach. Um, but I mean, that's what I have to say about it. I think it's important. I think that it's kind of perfect to say STEAM because it's like science, technology, education, arts, math. I would feel like science. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Engineering. So it's like when you take technology and engineering, it's like two parts, uh, that sort of like technical aspect. You take two parts that are going to be more um, like science, more mathematic things that are more like about how things work. And then you have like one part art, which I think is kind of the perfect distribution. It's like execution, understanding and like creativity. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I have a little bit of a I feel like when I was taught about art in uh, formalized school settings, I definitely didn't get as much out of it as I did when I uh, learned about arts outside of school settings. And it might just be because there is like a general lack of emphasis on arts uh, as we grew up. I think like, um, you know, you're always told to like kind of have one like sort of artsy class that you're learning from. But I do agree that I feel like I feel like, I don't know, it's kind of easier and kind of harder. I mean, I think it is harder to to come up with something out of nothing and truly use and flex your imagination to innovate, but... Real real quick, do you mind if I pick up on that? Sure. The create, you know, creativity, though, isn't just relegated to arts. And I think a lot of people lose focus on that, and myself included, but when you talk about creating something out of nothing, I think that's perfectly uh, that happens every day in engineering settings like when you look at great programmers who are able to write efficient code in, in a way that is executed that's never been done before and then it makes processing on this one thing easier for everybody you know I, I do think that there are when you get to a extremely deep level of mathematics it takes that creativity and it takes that ingenuity to actually continue and push the limits anyway I just want to throw that in there I agree. And like I was reading something about like a new educational program that's going on, I think, in like Sweden. And um, it's talking about how I mean, the way that the brain works is kind of like almost like the Internet. You have like uh, neural networks that are set up to understand certain things. And, you know, it, it naturally sort of compartmentalizes understandings. But if you are brought up in a way and if you're educated in a way where you're using multiple different subject matters to learn about things, like say I, you know, say we talk about the EU and we talk about engineering things in the EU and we talk about math and art and all these things, then you have this network that's greater than just the individual knowledge that you would have gained from having learned them in completely separate time and place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that s- web of nodes is always creates the recall and makes it so much easier, you know? Yeah, and so, like, I would say that I think that that's a super legitimate... I don't really know much about STEM or STEAM. I think that that is a really interesting take on education, and I think that... I think that the education that we were brought up in 
uh, is I think it was fair to kind of have that half and half where it's like, you know, English and liberal arts and then also math and science and physics and that kind of thing. But I do think that just straight up like arts, like music and uh, even just like drawing and painting and that kind of stuff did totally get the uh, like the shittier end of the stick. And I think incorporating that into your other realms of knowledge makes you a stronger, more creative, imaginative individual. I think as you also get higher, though, in a lot of these like courses, I mean, like you know, higher end physics and even higher end mathematic courses kind of change from being like what you initially think, which is like, I got to memorize all these equations. Mm-hmm. And it really boils down to like, it, it almost kind conceptual. of, yeah, it becomes a lot more like logic based, a lot more just like conceptual, a lot more uh, like the first time I ever wrote a proof, I was like, this is fucking horrible. Yeah. Like, hold <laughs> yeah. on. It's got all the restraints of math with all of the ambiguity of, you know, like uh, language. Yeah. So I think that as you get higher in technology, you kind of start like seeing it crisscross into the creative and art side. And you brought up a good point. I shouldn't have said that engineering isn't one of the creative aspects of those. Engineering is probably the most creative, if not like or equal to arts. I mean, engineering is based around like combining technology and process with creativity. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yep. Um, The way I've always thought about it was science creates the tools and it's the artists and the writers who are there to reflect on how we are and should be using them. And you see kind of a cyclical nature to emphasis on science versus arts throughout history. And I'm just going to go back a little bit. You look at the Industrial Revolution. Technology was booming. Um, We were funneling all these people into factories to make all of these new products and things. And there was a huge backlash against that from the romantic writers and the romantic artists who then emphasized nature and how important it was to be outside, to get away from these cities and things like that. And they were, they were, and there was, you know, with Mary Shelley, like has science gone too far when we we're sitting here trying to create life itself, you know? Yeah. And you have those pulls or the, that pushback from artists, I think is incredibly important. And something that I also picked up on in one of my just survey history courses was I think it was in, in like the mid to early 1800s, we got to a point where we were, there are people uh, in Europe practicing eugenics, which is where they're basically selecting who can and cannot um, procreate against their will. You know, they would castrate people in prisons and so on and so forth. And that always was a point of science going too far and us being too controlling and then you that that begins to dial back and it goes away as people protest against it and then to emphasize the cyclical nature of it it then pops up again in like the 1930s where hitler first started his career going around in these like tea program trucks uh doing eugenics on people in germany and even with world war one where it was a it was a war of escalating technological power where technology was just exploding and we were just using it to mutilate ourselves and even up into World War II. And it wasn't until after that horrible atrocity that was the World Wars happened that the artists and everybody kind of take a step back and they look at what we've created. And it's like, what are we doing with these things? You know, like yeah, a really kind of funny and but simple quote to throw in here is fucking from Jeff, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park where he's like, your, your scientists were so preoccupied with if they could, they never stop to think about if they should. And I think that's where art always comes in. I do think we are, we are emphasizing science and technology way more than we are emphasizing the arts. And I just think we are in that part of the cycle. It may be the case in 15 years from now when we create AI and it fucking destroys shit that we think maybe we did go too far. <laughs> you know? so, 
<laughs> or not have thoughts oh, at all. That thing that dead. everybody thought would happen. <laughs> but I think it's great that at least that they are making that acknowledgement of going from quote unquote stem to steam. You know, I mean, you got you cannot just like not include art in what in bringing people into becoming like you know individuals that have original and you know individual thought. I think so. And they go well with the other things. So, yeah. 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 Max, thank you again so much for your question, man. Those are the kind of deep, big questions that we really like to dive into and entertain here. And it means a lot that you would take the time to type those out. Um, thank you also to Mandy and to Nick. You can go to wittybantershow at gmail.com to just, email us a question. We just assume it's Nick for sure. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's clear. I mean, it probably is, but just in case. He needs to prove otherwise, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's we don't Nick. know. <laughs> WittyBanterShow at gmail.com is how you can email your question into the show, or you can go to our website, WittyBanterShow.com, to write a question in as well. But with all that out of the way, let's put some numbers on this beer and get out of here. Mm-hmm. Who wants to I'm going to go first, oh. since none of you guys are stepping up to the plate immediately. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you got to think about it. We're, we're, yeah, we're on our Peer lulls Peer pressure here. me into liking or not liking this beer. <laughs> okay. This beer is straightforward, but really good. I think yeah. it executes on itself of just the IPA style. It's nailing. This is exactly how I want to drink an IPA. You've got a upfront sweetness that's undercutting that really thick bitterness, but it's really nice to start sweet and pineapple-y and to end with like kind of bitter piney hops. It's super interesting, obviously, or honestly, but it it's kind of thin which makes it easier to drink, which I like, but it's also not a very complex beer. It's basically thin, sweet pineapple, hoppy finish, doesn't have a a lot of smell or aroma to it. That being said, I drank it very quickly. I enjoyed it. I would totally see myself. This this looks and feels like it should be a go-to drinkable IPA when I want one. Um, So I'm going to give it a seven. I think it's good. Seven is kind of around what I was thinking as well. Um, like you said, dude, this is a beer that I can keep like a six pack in the fridge and always have one to kind of grab or like to share with people. And nobody would be like, everybody would drink it. And the reaction I would hope would be like, this is good. But that would kind of be like where they would say they wouldn't like be like, oh, this is so unique. And this is so like crazy and all that. They wouldn't say that. They would just it's a very good, refreshing IPA, which is not something that I normally don't like you know, associate with IPAs. It's, hmm. IPA is something I usually try to drink and like because I want that more like bitter or like beer taste or to complement something specifically. But this is like a lot more drinkable, almost like you would expect from like a lager or like a pale ale or something like that. Like I would drink it in the same sense, not like I would an IPA. And for that, I'm going to do the same thing. Seven. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think my take's a little different because... I actually I had a different beer. So, well, yeah, I did have <laughs> a different beer, but um, Mandy actually asked me to review. I was I was drinking a Sculpin, a, just a normal Sculpin, and I reviewed it and I gave it like an eight point five originally. I really liked the Sculpin. I felt like it was a great. We IPA. reviewed that beer. No, no, no. I, it was just on my own. She wanted to know what my review was oh, as okay. I was having it. Um, I feel like I might have given that too high, but I really liked it just for like. The style of beer, I felt like it nailed it. That being said, like I enjoy this pineapple sculpin just as much or more than uh, you know the original normal IPA sculpin, and I, I like the fact that it seems a little mellower and that it it is sweet, but 
while I, you know, at one point I did say like, man, I kind of want a little bit more of the pineapple. I feel, I feel like if it did give me more of that pineapple, it would be more of this thing where like, I might just have one or two and then like not have it for a, a long mm-hmm. time. That being said, like the way that it stands now and the way that it is, is I could get a six pack of this and I could throw these back. Um, I mean, I agree with y'all's general taste profiling and uh, I, I just really respect the pack, fact that they made they made like a quote unquote fruity take on like a classic that wasn't just gimmicky or, you know, just too sweet or too much of this or that. So I'm going to give it an eight. Cool. All right, eight. man. I, I'd say that's rated fairly highly by all of us, considering that we've actually been fluctuating quite a bit on our beer reviews, which has been fun. We're all kind of in the same realm on this. So I like that. Cool. Yeah. Mandy suggested that beer to us by going to wittybantershow.com and clicking the suggested beer tab. Thank you again so much for that beer recommendation. Um, it makes the shows just so much more enjoyable for us personally. So if you would like to um, suggest a beer, feel free to go ahead and do that. We'll try to get any of them and all of them. But let's go ahead and get out of here. Let's end episode number 66. Let's get Max's first full-time legitimate episode out of the way. Ooh. Witty Banter. It's a show that's on iTunes. Just search Woody Banzer, hit subscribe. All of our episodes will show up in your download queue for free. We're also on other podcast services. If we aren't on one that you would like us to be on, just send us an email and we'll fix that as soon as possible. I am on Twitter. I am at Bodacious Chase. Hunt, or Max is at Maxi Dangus. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Woody Banzer Podcast. We would love to hear from you at any and all of those places. But... Until next week, thank you so much for joining us, for Hunter, for Max, and for myself. Ooh. It's been a pleasure to put our voice in your beautiful, beautiful ears. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, big ol' ears. Where are we Love putting them. it again? Um. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, and I'm very excited for future episodes. Yeah, man, we're very stoked. Cool. Take Hope it everybody off else is excited, too. Yeah! We'll see. Woohoo! Boop, 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 boop.